0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is the 19th Sunday after Trinity. And we are continuing in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. You'll remember that chapter 17 has this question about the coming of the kingdom of God, how it is that people will know. And Jesus says there will be no observable ways of knowing the coming of the kingdom but he says the kingdom of God is among you he's saying that it's already been instituted and that uh, the kingdom of God is at hand it's within them it is uh, able to be participated in uh, right here and right now and so we're not going off over the hill we're not going off looking for the kingdom of God but it's something uh, that we dwell in and that we practice in our hearts He talks about the second coming and he talks about how there will be uh, two in bed and two in the field and two at the grinding and that one will be taken. So he's saying there is no, again, observable way of knowing who it is that is in the kingdom of God, but uh, the Lord reads the innermost heart of the person. And this is where he finds faith and his own reflection. And so now we get several parables where Jesus fleshes out this idea. He says, what is it that we're looking for? What is it that uh, we can see to discern the practice of the kingdom of God, the presence of the kingdom of God within our hearts and in our midst? He told the parable last week about the unjust judge and the widow. And this week, again, he's talking about that uh, innermost heart of faith when he shows us the difference between this Pharisee and the tax collector from the outward signs, we would think that the Pharisee would be the righteous one and the tax collector would be the unrighteous one. If we were to judge people by their looks, by their outward appearance or by their uh, roles that they play in society. The Pharisee is supposed to be this zealous religious man. He has uh, pledged himself to the following of the law of Moses. He's very strict in his way of living. And the tax collector by many would be considered a traitor in the midst of the people of Judah. He's working for, Rome and tax collectors were famous for extorting for taking uh, more taxes than what they were supposed to you'll remember that when the crowds come to John the Baptist and they ask him how is it we're supposed to live and respond to this message of the kingdom of God he tells the tax collectors don't take more than what you're supposed to take don't extort extort the people And so uh, this is the outward look of a tax collector, a traitor to the people of Judea. The rest of the parable is told to us from within the hearts of the individuals. And this is a really important shift in the parable that we really want to think about. Jesus is telling us what their hearts are saying. So we can't know the hearts of other people. Right away, what he's telling us by giving us an insight into the heart is the only work that you can enact, the only place that you can have authority is within your own heart. So be busy about your own heart. Right away, he's saying it's none of your business about the actions or the heart of other people. Take care of your own heart first. Because again, we can't read each other's hearts. We don't know each other's thoughts. We can't look at somebody and say, whether they're faithful, uh, no matter what clothes they wear, no matter what role they play in the church or in society, the Lord is looking at the heart. And so then we get the inner dialogue of the heart of these individuals. And the inner dialogue of the Pharisee is... To favorably compare himself to others. Anybody ever do that? I'll wait for everybody's hands to go up. Right? We've all done that, right? We've all made ourselves feel better about ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. Right? That's a sin. Right? That's a sin. What we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be humbling ourselves. So right away, this Pharisee is saying, at least I'm not like that tax collector. And then he justifies himself by talking about all the wonderful things he's done. He talks about his tithes, he talks about his fasting, all these things that we promote in the church. But right away, the fact that he's going to compare himself to somebody else and build himself up on the back of somebody else, he is missing the message of the law of Moses. He's missing the message of the law of Moses. Moses says very clearly that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. To love our neighbor as ourself is to look at them and say, my poor neighbor, they're suffering, they're in need, they're struggling with sin. My job is to intercede for them. My job is to build them up. My job is to support them, to comfort them, to exhort them towards righteousness, right? But to do this in that sacrificial, loving manner. And so the Pharisee has missed the heart of the law of Moses. The tax collector, however, goes straight to the heart of the law. And he humbles himself before God. He knows what he is deserving is the consequences of his sin. And he asks God for mercy. Again, we can't ask for mercy if we don't say, what I'm deserving is the consequences of my actions. We can't ask for mercy if we don't acknowledge the consequences of our actions. So he acknowledges the consequences of his sin and he begs for the mercy of God. That is to not get what he deserves. And Jesus says the tax collector, because he humbles himself, as we read in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, because he is willing to lower himself, then God will justify him and raise him up. So this is the heart of the message that we see in all the prophets. And this morning we see in Jeremiah, in uh, chapter 14, and at first blush, I think, is, is modern people uh, who think of the world as uh, running on its own and God not having a lot to do with uh, the day-to-day of the world, uh, right? The modern viewpoint is that God is far away, God is uh, far off, that he's kind of set the world in motion if he created it all and, and, and put it into good work. And so he's not influencing it day-to-day. That's a modern heresy. This is a modern way of looking at the world. It's totally wrong. Uh, We know that our God is a creator God, that he uh, never leaves his creation, that he's always working in creation, uh, that a miracle isn't God inserting himself into creation. But day in, day out, we see miracles of God's divine nature and of him holding up all of creation that he has made. And so in this understanding of God always working in creation, we see Jeremiah understanding that the drought that the people of Israel are experiencing is because of their sin. Again, for modern people, we try to separate ourselves from that kind of an idea, right? That the natural order would have anything to do with the righteousness of the people. Jeremiah is clear, right? Because God's people have sinned, they're experiencing a drought. Now, Jesus says the rain falls on the good um, and the evil alike. And that's exactly what Jeremiah shows. He says, not only are the rich suffering, but their servants are suffering. Not only are the people suffering, but he says the doe suffers and the doe's young and the wild donkey suffers. So he's saying that all of creation is suffering because of the people of God and because of their lack of righteousness. And he calls the people into repentance. What a great opportunity this gives us people living in the desert southwest in a long-term drought with wildfires. What a great benefit we have here to call to repentance. And so often, when we uh, think about a call to repentance, we think, "Oh Lord, it's um, you know bad management of our uh, of our ecosystem. Our government has badly managed our forests, or badly managed our reservoirs, or we've done something collectively." There's very little of the mea culpa. Very little of that uh, humility that is evidenced by the tax collector and this if we're going to pray this prayer is where we have to start we have to look at the righteousness that God has called us to as individuals and as a church and as a church community in order to say Lord uh, we may be uh, deserving of the consequences of a drought but have mercy upon us have mercy even upon the doe and the wild donkey If we're going to pray that prayer, we have to start with ourselves and we have to to take ownership of our own hearts. And uh, again, uh, it's not about our management of the land as much as it's about our heart because that's what God is concerned about. He can do whatever He wants with creation. He can make it rain when He wants. He can make it stop when He wants. But He will use whatever means necessary for us to turn to Him, to depend upon Him. And so often we start turning to um, our water managers, or towards our city government, or towards all these places for the benefits of uh, this creation, and rather than turning to God and trusting in Him. God can do what He wants with creation. He's calling us continually to repent and to humble ourselves. So St. Paul gives us a, a a view into this understanding of repentance and uh, our need to be able to look at other people. Because uh, while we can't judge other people, we can't look into the hearts of other people, we also can't be naive. Right? We can't be naive in the church. And the mistake would be to say, I can't read your heart, I don't know what your motives are, so I don't get to make any decisions about you in the church. That's not true at all in the church we have to be talking with one another about our behavior and about our actions and when somebody does something in public in the church when somebody leaves ministry or they've done something they're not supposed to in ministry we need to inform one another and we need to make it public Because our responsibility is to our children and those who are new in faith. And we can't have people teaching or preaching or leading them astray. We have a responsibility to stand up and say, this is right living. This is who we're calling to leadership in the church. And to publicly call people to repentance. And this is exactly what St. Paul is doing in this letter to Timothy. He talks about two people uh, here, and he makes it very clear what it is that they've done. He talks about Demas, who was part of their initial planting of the church in Rome. So here's somebody that was so instrumental in that early ministry in the city of Rome and to the great uh, power of the church that comes to reside in Rome. Uh, But he says Demas has walked away from the ministry. He's walked away in order to comfort himself, in order to, to have a life of comfort. And so it's Paul's duty to make the faithful aware that this is what Demas has done. He acknowledges Alexander the coppersmith. Does he say he's uh, not doing what he's supposed to do because he's a coppersmith? No. He says that he he publicly argued with Paul and taught something other than the faith that was given and hurt his ministry. And Paul has to defend himself. And he says it was a very difficult defense So you can see how Paul's ministry was being undermined and the teaching of the church was being undermined by Alexander. And it's Paul's responsibility to let the church know that this has happened. It's his responsibility to let them know what's been done so that this wouldn't continue in other churches and other places. So there is a a deep responsibility. We're not a, a let off the hook here allowed to be naive about what it is that people have done it's not our place though to judge them and and saint paul inserts this beautiful line about that right so we can set people apart and we can say you're not allowed to teach in the church you're not allowed to have a position of authority in the church until you repent and you acknowledge what the church teaches and all of this what does he say Uh, he says uh, that that the lord will repay them according to their deeds which is just the understanding of justice. But then he says, may it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against them. So again, Paul is doing those two things. He's saying, this is justice. This is what they're deserving according to their deeds. But may God have mercy on them. May they repent. And so in that prayer, he's asking for God's justice and mercy to come together. And he's reminding Timothy, he's reminding Timothy about what it looks like despite these kinds of hardships to continue and the faith. And he uses that parable again of, um, of keeping the faith and of, uh, of running the race and of hoping for the appearing of God, right? He's saying all those who love the appearing of God, so those who are setting their hearts and their minds uh, longing for the coming of God. And so this is the attitude that he commends to Timothy. He says, uh, let us uh, continue to proclaim the gospel uh, despite the hardships that we've faced. So we're not given the opportunity to be naive and we're also not given the place to judge. We acknowledge the consequences of sin and we beg for mercy for those around us. How do we do that? How do we do that? You know, the Pharisee says that he's justified because of tithing and because of fasting. He's got it totally opposite. He's got it totally opposite. Tithing isn't the good work. Tithing is something that we do so that it changes our hearts. We don't tithe so that we can say, Okay, Lord, I put money in the plate, so now I get points, right? We do that so that our hearts become softened and so that we are continually acknowledging our dependence upon God. We don't fast to punish ourselves for eating. We don't eat so that we can say, Lord, I don't depend upon this bread. I depend upon you. We don't pray so that we can say all day, well, I prayed today, everybody, you know, said my prayers, right? Check for Howard, right? That's not the point. We're humbling ourselves in prayer and making room in our hearts for the Lord to enter and to soften them and to make them malleable. We don't read the scriptures so that we've got some information so that we can memorize and so that we can go and recite to people, right? And we can say, oh, I read my Scripture. I memorized this verse. Here's one for you and one for you. Bishop John David used to say that the Bible is the only book that reads you. It's the only book that reads you. When we open the Scriptures, it's our hearts that are being read. The Holy Spirit is reading our hearts and saying, that's out of place. That needs to be set aside. That needs to be let go. That needs to be inflamed and encouraged. That's where your heart belongs. That's where your hope is supposed to be. That's where your faith rests. When we read the scriptures, it reorganizes our hearts and our minds, allows us to be humble and sets our hope and our thoughts upon God. But whether it be scripture or prayer or fasting or tithing, they're all bricks. We can use them to break windows or to build hospitals and schools and churches. To build up our hearts and our minds to be focused upon God and upon his kingdom. And may they be tools that we use this day and forevermore. So that our hearts are temples where the spirit resides that are soft and malleable and ready to do His good works.